monthly podcast where we bring you firsthand stories from attorneys and advocates who are on the front lines of fighting for justice for people living in poverty. The Witness is a project of the Shriver Center's Clearinghouse community. Today's episode is the second in our new mini-series about the Shriver Center's own Racial Justice Institute, formerly the Racial Justice Training Institute, over the past five years. The Racial Justice Training Institute has equipped more than 200 fellows from around the country to practice community-led advocacy in pursuit of racial justice. During the first ever Racial Justice Institute National Convening, we got to talk with some of the lawyers and advocates who came together from across the country. We learned about their lives, their careers, and their hopes for the future of the Racial Justice Institute. In the final episode of our RJI mini-series, we hear part two of the conversation between Alicia White, the Criminal Practice Social Work Program Director at Brooklyn Defender Services, and Sheila Miller, the Supervising Paralegal at the National Immigration Law Center. Hi, Alicia. Hi, Sheila. (laughs) I am very curious to know, who is your role model? And please tell me about this person. That's a very good question. I, well, you know, I, it's, it's, I don't have to look very far because I have two very terrific parents. And I think that um, people always say, oh, my mother or my father. But my parents were, my father is deceased. He died eight years ago. My mother is still, thank you. My mother is still living. My mother was a social worker without knowing she was a social worker because she was always the person who had taken neighborhood kids. I have two older sisters. My sisters would have friends who would not have anywhere to go. My mother Mm -hmm. would take them in, even though it's like, oh, don't bring Ricky home. You know, it's like, (laughs) you know, it's like we would, I would complain because I was the youngest. And it's Mm -hmm. like, why bring this kid in? But looking back, I can understand why she would do it. Um, Also, my father, he's a career um, Marine Corps officer. He was very strict. He was very, and not strict in a bad way, but strict in a way that this is where I can measure where men should be. My father had a Mm. very difficult growing up. He Mm -hmm. was raised by his grandmother and she was, and he worked from the time he was like 11 and he had to work for himself. And he actually worked, he put himself through college. He graduated from Morehouse. He worked very hard, but it was not easy. It's Mm -hmm. not. And so when I see men, men and I will say, because I'm black, when I see black men now complaining you know, just saying that they can't do anything and they're saying, you know, I'm an um, endangered species and all of this. I think about my father mm-hmm. and what a difficult time. At a different time, than, my father was born in 1935. So we're talking about many, many years ago that he had to struggle as a young person through the 40s and yes. 50s. And he never bellyached about being an endangered species. He was never, he just knew There were things that he had to do in order to get where he wanted to be. And so I, and he became a very successful person. And so I measure men to him. I love that. I love that. Yeah. So I will say my parents. Mm -hmm. And 
they were very politically active as well. Mm -hmm. They were very, and they would bring stories home. My mother was a stay-at-home mother, but my father was very active. My mother was very active, mm -hmm. and you know, teaching my sisters and I about what we would see. And we were raised oftentimes in neighborhoods. I was the only black child in the school very often mm -hmm. in my whole my entire school, and that is difficult for a young person, when you start talking about slavery, it's like everyone starts looking at you, it's like, I don't know anything about slavery. I wasn't a slave. <laughs> but, you know, it's, but it's good that I had my parents to go to. And yes. they would say, this is what happens. This is what being black in this society that we're living in is like. Mm -hmm. And it made me and my sisters a stronger, you know, stronger individuals. And so, yeah. That's, that's interesting because... The challenges that you had as a young child being the only African-American and spaces and overcoming that. And, you know, it sound, I, I wish I knew you there then because it sounded like you walked into that classroom with your head held high and like, yeah, this is my desk. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm here for my lesson. Yeah. But I, I just visualized your dad being an 11-year-old young boy who took on the role of a very mature adult. Yeah. And he was successful at it. That's impressive. And it's something I can certainly relate to because my own dad had those challenges very young. Yeah. And I think that's where I get my resilience from. But you reminded me of that, that um, Mr. Miller yeah. taught me when I was not even looking for a lesson. That I, is so beautiful. I, I love that because we have such, you know, we don't know each other. We, you know, we're just getting to know each other. Mm -hmm. But we have, you know, so many of us have a kindred soul and spirit yes. and where we come from and who we come from and who, why we've gotten to the place where we are. Because there have been people in our histories, whether it's our parents or, you know, whoever, that have been there for us. And it's... That's yes. uh, that's one thing I worry about kids today because I see kids and they they join gangs and they join and people are like why are they joining gangs? It's like because there's they're looking for that family. They're looking for that family. Right, right, and they're oh looking for that role model. They're mm -hmm. looking for something that many people take for granted. Mm -hmm. You know, and I I, agree. I think when I was growing up, I may have taken my parents for granted, maybe, but I always knew I had the best mother in the world. My mother was the, <laughs> the best. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so. It's like, Mommy, I'm not going to listen to what you're saying right now, but you are the greatest. <laughs> you, can put, you can send me to my room, but yeah, you're the best. You're the best. <laughs> okay. I have a question for you. And knowing you in a short period of time, I, I, I really do admire you. I love the way you carry yourself. I love, I love your presence when you walk into the room, that power and strength. And um, you're very approachable. Um, and I see a little rebellion in you as well, which is like power to rebellion. <laughs> but, um, <Yes. laughs> Alicia, do you have any regrets? Any regrets? Um, I can't live with regrets because if I did that, it would 
prevent any experience that I've had in the past, which has gotten me to the place where I am now. Wow. So I cannot, I, I can say honestly, uh-huh. I don't have regrets. I had things I may have done differently. You know, it's like, okay, maybe I would have, you know, turned left than right. Mm-hmm. But if I hadn't turned right, I wouldn't know what it, would, what it was like going right and seeing what's over there rather than saying, oops, let me go back this way. Right. So, no, I don't have I would love to say yeah, I have regrets, but I don't have regrets. I love that you said you have no regrets because I think when that question is posed, you just automatically assume that, you know, you're going to have a list of things that you regret. And that's what I really was, was anticipating. Right. right. But who says you have to live this life with any regrets? And I love your response because it's empowering, right? Thank you. And thank you because I have a few, but now I'm just going to look at them differently. Yeah. It's like, no, there were experiences yeah. that you, you, you wouldn't have had otherwise. Right. So thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. This is great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, um, I ha- there's so many here. Um, What motivates you to take on race equity work? I think what I I think my own personal experience of knowing what it's like, as I mentioned before, being the only child of color in a school and in a school system that didn't know how to provide support for a child mm-hmm. of color. But I also feel that seeing, I've I've worked like two decades as a social worker. Mm -hmm. So I've had experience from working in foster care. My first um, social work experience was working in foster care. And I would see families separated. And it really helped me, you know, and I always process things. And I'm my only frame of reference. So I process things through my own lens and I could see and I all of my professional social work experience has been in New York City mm-hmm. so I can say that the New York City foster care system has improved but it's awful it's terrible I mean like probably any foster care system in the, across the country mm-hmm. but I see so many children of color separate from their parents when they didn't need to be. And I also, when I was in, when I worked in foster care, um, the, the case, mm-hmm. even if the infraction was against the father, the, the case was always under the mother's name. Always. Even really? if, yes. That's and that it, it's changed, but it's like, that should not be. Right. So what I've seen, when I've, I've seen par- families separated. I've seen children adopted, you know, parents losing their parental rights. I've seen, I've seen kids going through, you know, awful experiences. Mm-hmm. I've seen, and I've also worked with victims of human trafficking, and I did that for a period of time with women who were, well, women, trans women, and, and um, biological men, um, arrested on prostitution charges and how the system treats them, Hmm. Um, the trauma they've experienced, 
how people look at people if you walk into a courtroom and they say, oh, it's a prostitution charge, and how the court officers look at people, look at the woman being accused of prostitution. So I say all of this to say my experience has gotten me, is that what you, I'm, I'm going off track, but no, has gotten is, me, is, it's gotten me where I am, mm -hmm. and I, I feel that I, 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 I really have such a, yeah, I love the history that I, I've had in the working as a social worker. I can't imagine doing anything else because it's taken me That's to beautiful. so many different places mm -hmm. and so many different experiences. And I've had the opportunity to talk to people that I would not otherwise speak to. Mm -hmm. um, judge, you know, like seeing, talking to people who are otherwise homeless. And when you walk on the street or you, I take the subway, which I absolutely hate, but <laughs> taking the subway and you see people who are literally, you know, who are street homeless, uh -huh. but that person might walk into your office and that is your client to have a different perspective of people who I are street homeless yes. as opposed to this is someone who I am their social worker and I will do whatever I can to support them and do. But I had a client once, I digress, I had a, clients one, a client once who was born um, and his birth certificate says baby boy. He was probably in his 40s or close to 50, and he never knew his parents. Oh, my goodness. He was um, abandoned in the hospital, and he went by the name Nightingale Nightingale because he had no other name. Oh, and my he was, goodness. And he was street homeless. It was just, and, you know, we did, you know, I, I, I was his, I was actually his therapist, and I did everything I could to keep mm -hmm. him in school. So it's... All of these experiences rolled into one mm -hmm. have, you know, I, I feel it's made me a better social worker. It's made me yes. a better person. And I can continue to try and achieve, you know, being, being a better person because of anyone who, I think there's an expectation of all of us because yes. of the history that we've had. And that's what I, I'd like to Try and accomplish, and I will, will, will die trying. The true warrior. <laughs> I try. I, I hope yes. so. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So this is why I do the work. I do the work because it's important work. I do the work because um, I won't say I'm the only person to do it, but I can't imagine doing anything else. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine not trying to make the difference make a difference in someone's, in someone's life. life. Yeah. And that's that's from It's funny because my mother told me, you know, you were a born social worker. And I was like, why? She was like, because she remembers when I was she was like, you could barely walk. I was like three years old. And I was with my mother and we were getting on the bus. Uh -huh. And I tripped um, the little three year old Alicia tripped and fell. And then we got on the bus and we were sitting there and she, my mother said, and you looked at me and said, I looked at my mother and uh -huh. said, Mommy, are you okay? Mommy, don't cry. Aww. Because I could, see, my mother said, because I could see the look on her face because mm -hmm. she was concerned about me. Mm -hmm. And she was like, you were more concerned about me than you were about yourself falling. Oh, my goodness. And I was like, oh, I was sweet. <laughs> <laughs> true, 
to form. <laughs> well, let me share. I'll share with you an interesting story of how you know our our paths are um, are already predestined, if you will. Yeah. When I was a child, I don't know why my mom, of all her kids, I don't have I don't have any baby pictures. But everyone else is like, oh, Charlotte's so cute. But anyway, yeah. not Sheila. But I yeah, uh-huh. I, I maybe yeah. I don't know. Maybe no the camera broke when you were no. Just, maybe maybe well, the cam. They did. They had to buy a new camera, and they didn't have the money to buy. No, well, just, thank you for that because <laughs> my brother Michael said that I was adopted and left at their doorstep. So I went. You know, I had issues with that for a little while, but he oh, he's such an awful brother. But anyway, <laughs> um, my mom told me that when I was when I was small, I wanted to get from one side of the room to the next and I was like, you know, you know, kids lift their hands like and everyone was ignoring me. So apparently there was something on the floor, some apparatus, some type of little it must have been a plate or something. But I crawled into it, sat on it, and I literally scooted myself away to the other yeah. side of the room, right? I mean, even then I was wow. a badass, right? Yeah, like, right? That's what I say. And then you're like, uh, no one's gonna no pick one's me gonna, up, right? I nothing's going to stop you from getting where you need nothing's to be. Nothing's going to stop me. I am going to be in that boardroom, whether I'm invited or not. I will have a seat at the table, or if if I must, I will sit on the table or stand in the wow. corner. But I will have, you know, my You'll voice have a place will, there. I'll have a place. That, I love but, that. That's great. That, isn't that crazy? How yeah, that's I, great. We need more storytellers. That's You know what? Yeah. That's what we need in, the, in our youth. We need more storytellers so that, yeah. they can, so that they can remind us, you know, when we're the old folks and y'all are still the youngins. Yeah. That, um, it's true. That, yeah. So I have, may I ask one other question? Because I love this. Okay. And, you know, I'm a social worker, so I can talk and talk and talk. (laughs) This is, you're going to love this one. Okay. What are your hopes for what the future holds for me? For you? Mm Mm-hmm. I knew it would get you because I was reading it. Yeah. Because there's another one that's for you. But I'm thinking, oh, I actually switched up on it just that quick. Yes. What are your hopes for what the future holds for me, Sheila? I hope I hope that you can continue to be that young child holding their arms up to oh, get to across to the other side. I hope that your place is always in the boardroom, making your voice heard. I hope that all of this and all of the work that you're doing is for the betterment of the people that you serve. And I think it will be because you're someone who doesn't take no for an answer. And that's what I hope for you. And I hope that you'll be able to see the fruits of your labor. I do. That is the kindest thing. Yes. Thank you. You really truly mean it. I know. I feel it. Yeah. Thank you. Welcome. Oh my gosh. Can I call you tomorrow? <laughs> of course. You've got my number now. You can call me. I do. Yeah. So, oh, that was so beautiful. So, what does your future hold? And that will be my final question. My future holds. I, I, 
will say that, uh, I, I'll digress because I always have all these stories, but... Love these stories. So, okay. Okay. I, you know, I'm a social worker, and I, I'm very proud to be a social worker, and I love, I love social work. I love people who go into social work. It's, it's such... You, know, you have so many very brilliant people who decide to go into social work, mm-hmm. and it's, they can do. They could go to any other discipline that they choose, but they choose social work for whatever reason they do. Mm-hmm. I hope that I can continue to work with. I have a great team of social mm-hmm. workers that work with me at BDS, and I love each and every one of them, and they know it, and I tell, because I'm not one to hold back, and I think when you feel a certain way about people, you should actually tell them, you shouldn't right. say, you know, but, you know, I tell them, I love this team, you guys are terrific, uh, and they know it, and they feel it, and they feel that they they have the support mm-hmm. from me, but I, I, I'll say this, because I'll digress, There, I read this article about a woman who is Native American, and she is she's probably in probably in her late 80s mm-hmm. she was a social worker and she continued to work on i think she was in north dakota on a reservation working with young people who were um substance abuse abusing um mental health issues she worked with young people well mm-hmm. she fairly recently passed away i think like in the last two years and but someone asked her while she was like in her late 80s, why do you continue to do the work? And she said, because I cannot not work as a social worker, and I will die continuing to do this work. So I feel that there's so much work to be done. Yes. I hope that I I never get to the place where I'm like so burnt out that it's like I can't continue to do it. And I don't think I will because I think I have the energy. And I do feel mm-hmm. that as long as there's a cause, as long as there's something that needs the betterment of our society, and as long as people are being mistreated, that I will have work to do. Whether it's in the capacity I'm in now or whether it's volunteering or whether I'm an 80-year-old woman with one of those little carts going across the room, Mm -hmm. I hope that that is what I continue to do. I could say I hope to win the $100 million lottery (laughs) so I don't have to work, but no, but I even, I I honestly feel even if I had, if I won some substantial amount of money, Uh that I would continue to do this work in some capacity. I I believe that I feel that and I just personally want to thank you mm-hmm. for being in that space and doing the work that you do. Thank you. And it does take special people. It takes be it takes this um when I say special I mean there's a there's a gift that you possess that that I don't. And there there has to be this level of compassion that I that I am only experiencing and talking with you about the work that you do and you do it well and I'm so glad that you are doing what you're doing and I want to I I pray to God that we talk about this years from now and you're still doing it Um, I hope by the time you get 98 though that you're probably like you know, hanging out on Martha's Vineyard. I was going to say, or the know, Aruba or something. You know, yeah, <laughs> like, you know, you know, you've written several books, yeah. and, you know, we're talking about that. But 
Thank you. I, I really appreciate it. What a beautiful it. soul you are. Thank you. And I will tell you, social workers are also very modest, and so that just embarrasses me to hear. So, oh, but thank you. I, you I so truly, welcome. I truly appreciate it. It's, you're it's so really welcome. kind of you. And um, yeah, and you are too. I, I really feel that. <laughs> no, no, I really feel we're kindred spirits, and I yeah. feel that we will, we will continue these conversations. I'm looking forward to it. I really am. Thank you for listening to this mini-series on the Racial Justice Institute. Once again, this has been Aliana Dennis from the Sergeant Shriver National Center on Poverty Law. This episode was recorded and produced by Jesse Dixon, the Training and Engagement Vista at the Shriver Center. We'd like to extend a special thanks to the RJI cohort members for sharing their stories and allowing us to record at the convening. We hope you'll continue joining us for The Witness. We would like to invite you to join us for the Advocacy Exchange, which is a conversation with advocates advancing change. Those are hosted live through YouTube. You can find both the Advocacy Exchange and The Witness on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. You can learn more about the podcast and the Clearinghouse community by going to povertylaw.org slash clearinghouse. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.